It's the show for real people doing real work in social media. It's the Social Pros Podcast from Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, featuring Jeff Roars and special contributor Zena Wiest. Presented by Interactive Marketing Hub, Exact Target, and sponsored by Janrain, the leaders in social sign-in and interaction. Cision, giving marketers and PR pros tools to expand their exposure. And Xbeon, social engagement software for world-class companies. Ready to accelerate your social media? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, not joined today by our friend Jeff Roars from Exact Target, who is off doing something fantastic. I think he's actually in a uh, in an all-hands marketing meeting, which may or may not be fantastic, depending on how those meetings go, but am joined by the lovely and talented Zena Weath. Zena, where are you today? I'm actually in Kansas City today. In the KC, snacking on some barbecue. I'm hoping that that is the case. <laughs> yes, snacking on some barbecue. That's right. Looking at my Johnson County Beige house. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good reference to last week's show when we were talking about uh, the different uh, suburbs of Kansas City and how they are beige. So if you didn't catch that episode, download it right now on iTunes or Stitcher and you can get a sense um, for the suburban politics of the greater Kansas City Metroplex, among other things. Uh, last week was a good show. This week is going to be a good show as well because we are joined by a very special guest, uh, forthcoming two-time author uh, and soon-to-be group director of something or another uh, at Terrific Agency, <laughs> W2O, my friend and Zena's friend, Mr. Michael Brito. Mr. Brito, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, sir. How are you, Jay? Pretty darn swell. Tell us about uh, your new book, which is called Your Brand, The Next Media Company. Well, thank you. So, so Jay, you're, you're pretty familiar with my first book. I know we talked a lot about it, and you were very influential in helping me get it published, so thank you. I, um, you know, The first book I wrote was really this call to action for business, that they need to become social for the sake of becoming social. And I, I think at that point in time, for me, as I was talking with marketing managers and directors and, and people in corporate communications, they didn't really get it. They didn't really understand what's in it for me as a marketing person or a communicator to adopt social business principles. And so I decided to write book number two, which really takes the frameworks and and strategies from book number one and apply it to an everyday or an everyday business challenge or some look at it as an opportunity. And that is this idea that brands, large and small, need to start thinking like media companies if they truly want to reach consumers with a message that changes their behavior. When you say thinking like a, a media company, uh, what, what, does that, what does that mean? Does that mean creating more content or buying more ads or sort of amplifying their social or, or just being more social internally? What, what, are the, what are the elements of a media company that, that other brands should be mimicking? Sure. So that's a, that's a great question, and that, that's certainly something that I cover in the book. And if you think about a media company, there's really five characteristics that they have that brands need to start thinking about and adopting. Um, the first one is is that they are content machines, right? They they put produce content every single day across every media channel. You know, the New York Times posts I want to say 3,500 articles every single day, and that doesn't include blog posts. So they're pushing out content into the ecosystem every single day. The second characteristic is that they're storytellers, right? So if you think of Condé Nast, you know their narrative is weddings or bride, you know, uh, you know, 
golf or sports, depending upon which publication that you're reading, um, traditional news organizations, you know, their narrative is recent or breaking news. Um, the third characteristic is that that content, that story that they're pushing out there is relevant to someone at some time. Uh, so, so and, and the hard part for us, Jay, and I, and I know you talked a lot about this, is that you know, what's relevant to me today may not necessarily be relevant to me five minutes from now or tomorrow or next week. And so that's tough for brands to figure out the right timing in terms of when to create content and when to distribute it into the ecosystem. The fourth characteristic is that that content is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's they, most media companies own the search results. If you think of Huffington Post and Mashable, and, and I would say, Jay, Convince and Convert has these characteristics of a media company. They, they're shared across the, the entire digital ecosystem. They're dominating the search results. And the last characteristic, which is the most important in my mind, is that, that media companies are agile, meaning they have a very robust content supply chain, meaning when they have an idea or a story that they want to write to the point that they distribute it across paid, earn, and own media, the entire workflow that takes that, that idea and turns it into something tangible is what I call the supply chain. And most brands today don't have that, and that requires a shift in thinking. It requires a shift in uh, adoption technology, a change in behaviors, and workflows and processes that allow that to make it allow that to make it happen efficiently and effectively. If, if you look at the, the New York Times and the amount of content they produce or Condé Nast or somebody like that, um, indeed, uh, they are producing a lot of those kind of things and distributing them and amplifying them, but, but, they actually, but they actually are a media company. And, and the distinction there is that they, they get paid directly either from a subscription perspective for their content or they're selling advertising, um, which pays them indirectly for their content. Are you suggesting that that companies who are not in the advertising or subscription business should commit to content at, at that level, even though they're not remunerated for that? Or, or is the thought, well, if we create content, we'll get paid some other way because we'll just get more customers? Sure. So, so that's a really great question, Jay, and, and, and no one has asked me that question before. And, and I would say that, that no, no, it, you know, a brand like Cisco or a brand like IBM or a brand like, you know, large B or even smaller, you know, tech companies here in the Valley don't need to start selling subscription or content, um, that subscription type of content or ads on their website. It's really a way of thinking. And, you know, one of the things that, that you know, the New York Times and Mashable and, and all these media companies have are contributors. They have paid writers, they have editors, they have staff writers and assignment editors, and all these people are staffed and paid by the media company. In some cases, if you, if you write for Forbes, you're, you're paid based on the amount of page views that you have, even though you're not necessarily a staff columnist. And so that asset that media companies have, brands also have, and they're called employees. And they're called customers who already have a natural affinity towards the brand. So one chapter that I have is really focused on how to mobilize employees and customers to feed that content engine and tell the brand story. And what's in it for them, now that's the hard part, right? Because they don't get any extra paycheck. You know, I, I talk about ways to drive gamification and, you know, days off or PTO days for, for you know, those who contribute. There are certain things you could do from a business standpoint that would really mobilize and incentivize customers and employees to engage. But the truth is, is that customers are already telling the brand story. It's just sure. a matter of operationalizing it. 
You talk a lot about um, being very nimble and agile about content and storytelling and, 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 and that kind of right time content or, or even real time marketing. The, the previous agency that you were with does a lot of RTM kind of work. If you had to pick one, which do you think is most important for companies, content volume or content speed? I would say, I mean, I think you, you left one out, Jay. I think it's, it's quality content because, you know, real-time content, and, I, and I've always been vocal about this, and that is brands, large and small, cannot and should not sit idle and wait for the news cycle to create compelling content, right? Oreos capitalized on it, and it was during the halftime show, and I, and I actually missed the, that tweet because the Niners were losing, and I'm a huge Niner fan. So I was like in the backyard, very upset somewhere. <laughs> but my point is, is that brands cannot waste time, and 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 for something that's trending in the marketplace and create content around it. Now they need to be ready for that, right? In case something does come up, and and have the right operational structures and workflows in case something does, um, you know, trend in the news cycle that they can latch onto. But they should be creating compelling content every single day. And it's not just tweets and Facebook, right? Because tweets, and, and you know this, and you just posted an article not too long ago about search. You know, all those tweets and status updates and Instagram videos and all that, none of that stuff is indexed in Google. Zero of it. So there's a huge opportunity in my mind, which I call for in the book, for us to think more about long-form content, whether it be YouTube videos or pure blogging, corporate blogging, as a way to, to be visible when consumers are actually looking for your content instead of trying to interrupt them in the newsfeed. One of the things I think is really interesting about the book is that you uh, pull out and recommend specific uh, vendors and say, you know, these guys are pretty good at this piece and these guys are good at this piece. Did you, did you think twice about that and say, you know, vendors come and go and, and maybe the book um, will be recommending vendors that are no longer best of breed or other vendors have come along. Is, is that something that, that you pondered in the production of the, of the tome? That's a, a really good question. And I don't necessarily recommend them, although um, I have used and deployed and sold in many of the vendors to some of the, the previous clients I worked with. Um, these are clients that, you know, in fact, there's a lot of competing vendors in there and in fact one vendor who I did talk about just recently went out of business and I won't mention their name because I feel really horrible for them but um, you're I, I, I'm not I didn't set my like stamp of approval on them what I did say is if you're thinking about an enterprise social media tool that enables advocates to share content yes I did write about Xpeon and I'm you know, Zena, you didn't ask me to say this but I'm saying it because it's true um, because that is an option and they have a quality product and so um, I wasn't too worried about, you know, I know there's a lot of consolidation in the space today and there might be some, you know, next month which would make some of the vendors invalid. But it's a good starting point, I think, for people who are looking at technology to solve some type of solution or, or challenge. That's great. You talk about the, the, the sort of content narrative and that um, Condé Nast might talk about weddings or, or other sort of big picture things. If if you are a company that um, sells well, whatever it is that you sell, is that narrative uh, is that narrative about whatever it is that you sell, or is there a different narrative? So if you are like we've had um, uh, we had Delta faucets um, and fixtures on the show on Social Pros uh, a few months back. So should their narrative be? Um, should their narrative be, you know, bathrooms and fixtures and faucets, or or is there a different narrative that they might consider? 
That's a great question, and I think part of your narrative does have to talk about product launches and events and things like that. Otherwise, there's really no positive business outcome, and the CMOs is you know might ask what the ROI is or you know why are we investing millions of dollars if we're not pushing our products. Now, I don't say that we lead that a narrative should lead with pushing products, and I think you know your book utility is very very comprehensive in that you you help people with 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 content and not necessarily sell to them, and so for the the case of Delta faucets, and I know them extremely well, you know their narrative could I could see their narrative really be around home improvement, um, as as a way to facilitate a conversation about home improvement, or um, you know fixing up your bathroom or things like that. But it really does have to add value to the conversation because I don't care if De if Delta faucets launches a new line of um, you know chrome faucets or metal faucets um, but if they do if I'm in the business of and I'm currently refinancing my bedroom or my bathroom and they're telling me how to I don't know you know put tiles together using some of that glue stuff I don't I don't I don't obviously don't do any home improvement myself but <laughs> you know if they provided some type of, of, of content that helped me solve a problem as it related to home improvement, that's the type of content that you talk about quite quite frankly a lot in your book um, that I think companies should lead with. That, that to me is, should be the narrative. If you think about Red Bull, they rarely talk about their their drink, right? It's all about for them. It's it's the fact that they're you know they're giving you wings to fly. They're empowering you to doing anything that you want to do as long as you set your mind to it. Um, and and it's about epic events and jumping out of space and you know building snowboards for Sean White and things like that. And so the the narrative should not lead with products, but there should definitely be some relevance there. One of the things I think is really interesting about this book, your brand, The Next Media Company, is that you kind of tie together social business principles, which we've historically thought about as, as kind of internally facing uh, issues, and, and, you, and you tie that together to uh, social media and social marketing um, and sort of being a media company, which is, of course, by definition, externally facing. It's one of the only books out there, if not the only book out there, that I think really strides that line or straddles that line between the internal social uh, sort of social cultural issues and then the externally facing social marketing issues. Um, it was that a natural byproduct of, of writing the first book and then the kind of work that you've been doing day to day? Or how did you sort of end up uh, putting together a book that, that sort of has a, a foot in both camps? That, that was definitely by design, Jay, because, you know, my, my first book was very much theoretical and based on some learnings that I had working in the enterprise myself. And it wasn't very actionable for, for marketers, right? There, as I said, there wasn't earlier in the, in the segment, there wasn't a lot of what's in it for me if I'm a CMO of a company. Right, the CMO of a company doesn't necessarily care about collaboration, but he or she, what they might care about is if if I can collaborate with other people to improve my speed to delivery of content, or if I can collaborate with others to make sure that not only am I creating proactive, good marketing content, but also reactive support-related content, then I can kind of buy into this idea of of what social business really means, and and in order to make that shift. Um, from a from a brand to a media company, there is a significant amount of behavior change needed. And you know, your, your first first book, Jay, you talked a lot about this as well. You know, change management and behaviors, and behavior change is imitated. And when a CMO of a company can rally behind 
change management issues or initiatives, the entire marketing and, and comms and, and eventually everybody else hopefully can kind of buy into that through imitation and begin to shift the thinking and make that transformation into a media company. So it very much was by design that I took principles from social business and applied it to, to a, a business challenge or an opportunity which is this idea of your brand being the next media company. How has your sort of personal thinking uh, changed or, or evolved since your first book? <laughs> a lot, actually. It's um, it's been three years, which seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah. Um, you know, when you and I first talked about when when I started writing the book, and you know, if, for me, it's it's social business. It was something that you know at Edelman we we had you know I I did this for a lot of Fortune 500 companies, and you know it just it wasn't for me. It wasn't sustainable. Um, just to sell in this idea of of social business. You know, a client didn't come to me and say, hey. You know, we want to be a social business, and we're going to hire you guys to help us do that. That never happens. Um, what they do is they they come to us with an, a, a business challenge, like how do we scale our programs globally, or how can we improve our content strategy? And what happens is you end up performing a social business framework or a strategy or initiative to make that come to life. So social business is still social business. The way that you described it in your first book, the way that I've described it in my first book, it wasn't the same exact definition, but the thinking was very similar. Um, so, so that hasn't changed at all. What my, my shifting has been is, you know, I'm a marketer by trade. And I've been a marketer. I went to school for you know marketing. I've been in marketing my entire life, and I think there was always been this conversation of you know, does a PR agency, you know, does a brand hire a PR agency to um, for change management? Is that the right? Do you hire McKinsey or do you hire AnsiView or PwC or do you hire this agency or you know this consulting firm or not? That has been a challenge for for us for many years, and. So I, I purposely tried to shift my thinking to show clients and just the industry that social business initiatives and, and, and strategies can help anything if you really think about what business challenge you're trying to solve. Yeah, it's so interesting what you say that, that you think that companies will, will bring in somebody to sort of fix their culture or, or fix their social business. But, but typically what they want is just their, their more tactical pain taken away. And then in, in taking that pain away, you, you sort of get at the cultural issues, uh, you know, eventually, but, but most people don't say our culture is all screwed up. Come, come fix it. It happens, right. but, but it takes a pretty, what I find is that it takes such an enlightened company to understand that their cultural issues are so big, they need a, an outside party to help them. Most of the time, if they're that enlightened, they don't have those kind of cultural issues, right? So that's like this weird Venn diagram of companies who are aware enough of their culture, uh, but yet still want third parties to come help them. And that, that Venn diagram is relatively small, at least today. That's correct, and, and the truth is, if they do have those cultural issues, again, they're not going to call the local PR agency or the local digital or advertising agency. Those agencies are not top of mind when it comes to change management, and I think that was one of the challenges that, that I had very early on with clients was that they didn't, you know, marketing folks and PR folks, they didn't really get what social business meant, and there was really no incentive for them um, to say, hey, let's kind of shift our thinking, let's become more socially relevant internally so that we can better um, effectively communicate with customers and stakeholders externally. 
Absolutely. We'll be back with more from Michael in just a minute. First, let me remind you that this podcast, despite the fact that Jeff is not here, uh, the podcast is brought to you by Exact Target, a world leader in interactive marketing software, powering the email, web, mobile, and social programs of lots and lots of corporations. Exact Target is, of course, a salesforce.com company, and they have published a very nifty uh, new document that you should think about downloading for free. It's called the Mobile Lifecycle Roadmap. Uh, as we mentioned last week, for the first time, 44% of emails now are being opened with a mobile device. So essentially, every single person listening to this and every single person who's listening to this should tell all the people they know that your email program most definitely needs a mobile component. Of course, you've got to make sure that your emails are, are um, that work on a smartphone and that they're responsive and those kind of things. But that doesn't mean that we should be taking a pass now on SMS and other forms of mobile as well. So it's a really interesting document that kind of shows you how to insert uh, mobile uh, in a bunch of different pro- uh, places throughout the customer lifecycle. Good stuff. You can grab that from our friends at Exact Target now at ar.gy slash mobile roadmap. That's ar.gy slash mobile roadmap. A question about that, Michael, is obviously there are a number of books and consultants and and other folks talking about creating content. And and even you just look at the attendance at Content Marketing World this year, that conference was, you know, up around 16 or 1700 people. I mean, it's getting crazy. So lots and lots of interest in content, which is great. I'm a big believer, as you know, and obviously you are as well. But if we are getting to the point where everybody is doing content, um, do, do we end up in a situation where it just sort of floods the airwaves? Or, or does that kind of go back to your point about quality? Well, I think we're already there. I mean, it's it's we're, we as consumers are subjected to over 3,000 marketing messages per day. And that doesn't include plus ones, retweets, shares, comments, likes, loves, and all that. So, so there's already a content and, and media surplus today. And if you combine that with the fact that you know consumers have an attention deficit, uh, it makes it very difficult for brands to to reach consumers. And so that's why, from from my perspective, you know the power of of storytelling, it has to to live beyond 140 characters. Now, now I realize that kind of goes to what we're used to as as you know people who kind of grew up in social media, but you, you can tell a, a story in, in, on Twitter. Uh, you have to have an audience there, obviously, and you're, you, you're trying to you know, interrupt people through you know, on the news feed as well. So that's why it, it's really important from my perspective to be visible within search uh, when, when people are looking for you because that's a way to kind of break through the clutter, right? Because consumers who are using search and Google especially, you know, they're already on a mission to find something that's important to them or do research before buying a product or, or making travel arrangements or going on vacation. So having some type of visibility either through paid uh, search and certainly organic search has to be part of the content strategy. And too many social media marketers um, kind of forget about that, right? And there's been articles after article after article talking about how corporate blocking is dead, and that's a huge disconnect for brands. Yeah. They need to be investing more time in finding internal employees or even hiring journalists through platforms like Contently or eByline to help them fuel that that content engine from a long-form story perspective. But you're right. There's so much content out there. Quality is what I think differentiates everyone else. Um, quality and, of course, helpful content, going back to, to, to your book that you just published. Um, if, you can, if you can achieve those two things, then I think you'll be well ahead of your competitors in that area. 
The podcast is also brought to you by the friends at, our friends at Cision, a leading provider of software services and tools to the public relations industry. If you need to know who's talking about your company, if you need to know the key media and important influencers in your category, you need Cision. Journalists, bloggers, and online influencers use Cision to research story ideas, track trends, and maintain their public profiles. And you should grab the Cision uh, free ebook, Power Your Story, Content Marketing Essentials. Very um, in line with what Michael's talking about in his new book. It's called Power Your Story, Content Marketing Essentials. You can grab that for free from Cision right now at ar.gy slash power story. That's ar.gy slash power story. One last question for you before we get into the for your information uh, section of the show. You talked a little bit of, in the book about um, social media command centers and, and social media monitoring, those kind of things. Um, there are people who say that that sort of the whole idea of a social media command center is sort of overwrought, that it just happens to be a, a, a bunch of computer screens. And why why is that special? Um, what is your take on that? I know you've been involved in, in the setup and the operation of some of those. Um, do you feel like having everybody in one room with a bunch of with a bunch of those screens really changes the dynamics of social or is it really um something that that you could handle anyway uh it just happens to be set up in in a room with with screens well you know in, in the book i talk about the, this concept of of command centers they don't always have to be one conference room like the pentagon like you know working at the pentagon or you know working for some type of national defense um that you see in the movies in some cases it is if you're launching a product or there's an event or there's a crisis a lot of times you're going to want people in the same room to be able at legal and agencies and support people and marketers all in the same room ready to, to respond and react quickly if you need to. But the reality is, you know, 80% of the time, these command centers are virtual, right? You may have a command center in New York monitoring yeah. one screen and somebody else in Chicago another screen. And so, and that's completely okay. Calling it a command center appears to it, for it to be kind of one physical location, but most of the time it's not. It, it's kind of spread out. Um, but in the book, I do talk about the, the kind of the, the way to create one, um, similar to ones that we've created in the past, mm -hmm. as well as trying to find the right technology that can support you, whether it's from a you know a monitoring re monitoring reactive perspective, or it's something like you know the Dotches Group and 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 their real time marketing uh, product as well. Nice. Speaking of, of real-time monitoring, uh, of course, the podcast is also brought to you by Xbeon, Zenus Company. They have a centralized platform that em empowers global brands and agencies and retailers to manage their social marketing efforts to handle uh, monitoring and, and posting and governance and reporting. It's pretty slick. Uh, they have a Fave 50 social retail report, which analyzed the Facebook uh, presence and sort of Facebook best practices of the 50 top U.S. retail brands. They took a look at 16,000 uh, individual Facebook posts and pulled out all the best practices and things to do. Uh, very, very interesting report. Even if you're not in retail, you got to grab that. It'll help you make better decisions on Facebook. Uh, you can grab that now for free at ar.gy slash fave50. That's ar.gy, F-A-V-E, five, zero. Thanks very much to Xbeon, as always. Okay, Michael, it's the big wrap up here. It's the for your information section where I ask you four big questions uh, about social media. Are you ready? <laughs> I am. First question, how did you get involved in social media? Great question. I worked for a company called 8x8, and that was a, um, 
a platform that uh, it was a voice over IP technology product for consumers and small business. And at that time, I was a director of, of marketing, and part of my job was customer loyalty. And so my at that time, I created a community, and I don't even remember the name of the software, but it wasn't, they're not around anymore. But it was meant uh, for customers to kind of go in and create profiles and really solve each other's problems. Uh, that was my, my first kind of foyer into, into social media back, back at that company. That's fantastic. And wh when was that? That was uh, mid-2000s, I think 2004, 2005. What most people don't know is that uh, you were formerly in the military, which is a, uh, not something that, that many people in the social media world have. Indeed. Indeed, I was forced. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> He's a lot older than he sounds. He was actually in the Vietnam draft. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I joke around with people and I say, you know, I was, I was standing in front of the judge and the judge said, son, you have two choices. You can go here and spend time in jail or you can join the military. Yes. And I chose the military. No, I, I, I joined when I was 18, right out of high school. Yeah. I was, uh, had no goals, kind of going down the wrong path, didn't have, you know, quality friends. And so I made the conscious decision to kind of get away and, and learn something different. And so I joined the Marines and um, it really kind of put my butt in gear and really taught me how to be accountable for the decisions that I make. So um, I owe all of my success today for a lot of the things that I learned in the military. Yeah. Did you ever think about when you joined the Marines that uh, fast forward a while and, and you'd have uh, two, two books on social business? <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a police officer, believe it or not. You still can. It's not too late. Hey, uh, dial back in. We have uh, Chief Oliver on the show in December. He'll hook you up. If you want to move to a small town in Ohio, I bet you they can get you a patrol car. Indeed. Indeed, I would love to. <clears throat> Second question. Uh, what do you like best about social media? For me, it's it's the connection. It's the personal connections. Uh, I've yeah, I met you in social media, Jay. You know, and we were able to meet face to face in Chicago, I believe, almost four years ago. Yeah, marketing props. And, um, uh, it, some B2B it, it's, form, it's being able to kind of that's right. That's right. That's right. In Chicago, we were wearing some white lab coats and we did something. I don't, I don't even remember what it was. Um, but for me, it's, it's being able to take kind of relationships that you make online and you, when you meet somebody in person, you kind of have this something that you wouldn't normally have with other people when you first meet them. It's kind of a history, right? That to me is the most important. And it's a, it's a great way of thinking from a, from a brand perspective as well, being able to be more human with, with, uh, as a brand, uh, to relate more to consumers. I, I find in my personal life, connecting with people like you and Xena and others in the industry, uh, that to me is certainly uh, one of the best things I love about working in social media. So conversely, what do you like least about social media now? You know, we, we have a tendency of, uh, in this industry, we, we very much talk in a vacuum. We are constantly preaching to each other about the right things to do and then wrong things to do. And, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of folks in social, and, and I certainly won't mention any names, but, you know, there's this kind of ego that kind of lives within uh, the ecosystem and the ego is, you know, hey, I have a million followers or hey, I'm verified or hey, I was quoted in this magazine or I'm a contributor to this magazine. And, and, and to me, that, that really defeats the purpose of social um, and it just leaves a very, very negative taste in my mouth. You know, I'm the type of guy that I like to add value in every situation I'm in, whether it's to clients, as a father, as a friend. And you don't add value when you kind of um, constantly talk about yourself, constantly uh, talk down to others. And that's what I like least about social. 
It's funny, uh, as I think you know, my original background a long time ago uh, was in politics, and I was a political campaign consultant. And that same dynamic is very, very true in politics. And it was one of the things that drove me out of that business is that people who are practitioners there and get to a certain level of fame is the wrong word, but I guess notoriety is probably a better word. Uh, they they tend mm-hmm. to sort of live in this um, self referential uh, bubble where, you know, if somebody says something nice in the newspaper and the only part of the newspaper they care about is the editorial page and, and, you know, speaking to this group of 90 legislators or what have you. And it's just a really interesting way of, of looking at the world as, uh, as I wrote about years and years ago. Um, you know, if my mom doesn't know who you are, it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, there was literally, <laughs> there was literally, and I'm not saying this for effect, there is literally not a single person in social media that has any right to be uppity. Because even if you look at, you know, who might be on the top of that pyramid, I don't know, like Vaynerchuk or, or Brogan or, I don't know, Armano or, or Solis or Jeremiah or even Seth Godin. My mom has not heard of any of those people. Uh, and, and until my mom has heard of you, it doesn't actually exist. Not in the real world, right? So it's like, get a hold of yourself. Because here's the thing, right? You've got movie star fame, right? And then you have like, you have movie star fame, you have athlete fame, then you have TV fame. uh, Then you have, you know, sort of music fame in there somewhere too. Then you have business fame, and then you have marketing fame, and then you have social media marketing fame. So that's a pretty far way down to, to get to uh, anybody in, in, in our space, which is why this podcast, uh, gets thousands and thousands of people, uh, to listen to it every week, which is fantastic. And thank you all. Uh, but in the big pantheon of podcasts, like, you know, the, the closing credits of some walking dead podcast gets more listeners than this. Uh, but you know, what we're trying to do with this show, right. Is to be the best podcast for people who do this for a living. But the reality is the rest of the world could give a crap about any of this. I mean, that's the part that I think we lose sight of, right. And and sometimes it's disheartening as an author, too. I mean, you know it. You're going through it again right now. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the most successful book in social media content marketing is a remarkably unsuccessful book uh, when you look at fiction or, or sort of broader categories. It's just a different way of looking at the world. So um, people who, who are social media famous, uh, I think, need to get a little dose of reality in their lives. Yep. Um. Last question uh, for you. Uh, before we get to that, uh, tell people um, when and how they can get your fantastic new book, Your Brand, uh, The Next Media Company. Sure. Well, it is on Amazon Kindle today. It's being released, uh, I want to say, the week next week or the early the week after. Cool. And you can just go to Amazon and type in Your Brand, The Next Media Company, or I do have a site. It's, it's thenextmedia.co the next media.co and at that point you can click on Amazon or Barnes and Noble and order there. I do have several uh, summaries of each chapter and yeah. blog posts that kind of supplement a lot of the reading as well. Really well done. And I like the site a lot. I'm a big fan of it. I think it's exceptionally well executed. In fact, we will embed uh, one of those uh, SlideShare excerpts into the blog post that we'll do um, as a result of the podcast. It's really, it's really good stuff. Thank you. Okay, last question. Um, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Probably somebody social media famous per the last question, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but if not, uh, who, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be? That's a really, really great question. And 
I would have to say, give me two seconds to think about this. While you think about that, I want to remind everybody that the podcast is also brought to you by Jan Rain, providing social sharing, social login, and social data profile collection services to all kinds of interesting and fantastic businesses like Fox, Dr. Pepper, Universal Music, MTV, etc. We, of course, all want to collect data on our sites, uh, but there's no point to collect data if the data is crap. Jan Rain has a new free guide on how to improve conversion rates and data quality. Important for everybody. Great tips. A bunch of really interesting ideas there. You should download that if you haven't yet uh, at ar.gy slash better registration. That's ar.gy slash better registration, all lowercase. All right. That's as much time as I can give you to think of your answer. Okay. Jay, you have more sponsors than the halftime show on on NFL Sunday. What's funny is that uh, Zena just had a, a wardrobe malfunction, so it's it's just like it's just like <laughs> not even funny. <laughs> okay, I would say um, one of my favorite authors actually. He's amazing. I'm reading his his book. It's his sixth or seventh book, um, David and Goliath. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is somebody that I hold in very very high regard. He's an excellent author, such a smart thinker, um, just his insights into business and culture, and that's somebody I'd love to talk to. I've, yeah. I've been following him on Twitter. I've retweeted him a couple of times, but he's not giving me the time of day. So maybe after he listens to this podcast, he will reach out and we can have a Skype call. I think the problem is that you have very short hair, and he has a crazy, <laughs> crazy, like, I don't even know what it is. Um, it's sort of a white man fro kind of a thing, but in an even more, it's like, it's like the white man fro mixed with Yahoo serious. If you want to go back down the trip on the way back. Machine. Um, but I'll tell you what, reminds uh, me not, a little bit of, of, I was just going to say, it reminds me a little bit of welcome back Carter. That, yes. That era yes, of yes, hair. Totally. Yeah, totally. I've not started the new book yet, but I was uh, traveling this week, of course, as always. And. Uh, every airport bookstore has the full on display. Like it's like, you know, you, you, you go in for a Snickers like, Oh, do you like a Malcolm Gladwell book with that? I mean, it's like an unbelievable blitzkrieg of marketing. I'm like, Holy mackerel. I'm like, someday I'm going to write a book that has that good of marketing behind it. Uh, uh, probably not. He's actually in the business famous category, right? I was mentioning a moment ago, the, uh, the eight circles of fame or whatever mm-hmm. he is, he was business famous. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's a big difference between, between his book and, your book or his book and my book is uh, not the same thing. But that's yes, a great sure. answer. I, I will I will get on that podcast or the uh, the Skype call with you. Congratulations right. on the book. I'm super fired up. I'm happy for you. People are going to really uh, get a lot out of this book. Um, as mentioned, it's the first one, at least the first one that that I believe in that that sort of has equal dollops of social business and social media marketing between the same covers. That makes it uh, very, very useful. Uh, and I very much recommend that everybody pick it up. Uh, Zena, who's on the big podcast uh, next week? We have Carrot Top. Oh, Carrot Top. Carrot Top. You know, I'm actually going to be in Vegas this week, so maybe we could do a live podcast with uh, with Carrot Top, who was, uh, I'm not sure what level of famous he is. Uh, actually, we're not going to have Carrot Top. Um, that's not going to happen. Uh, who is the guest on the show next week for real? It's not Carrot Top. It is Paul Haskell uh, from Omaha Steaks. So we need to find a way to be eating steaks during the show. We'll that can be happen. done. We can make that happen for sure. We can totally do that. We've got a whole week to sort it out. We're going to do that. Until then, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. I think Jeff will be back last uh, next week as well. Zena will be back uh, with all of the words in her sentences, which is going to be amazing. Uh, thanks very much to Mike Brito for being on the show. And until then, keep on listening. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Okay, coming through. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to presenting sponsor Exact Target, as well as Cision, Janrain, and XPI. Now, get back to work.